0: Good morning. Welcome to Evergreen SGV. It's our joy and privilege to be gathering together as a church family. Those of you who are first-time guests here, we welcome you and we are very blessed to have you as part of our uh, corporate worshiping family this morning. Uh, summer is uh, pretty much officially over. A lot of the kids have already started school. Let me pray for the all the young ones, all the youngsters, and even though you're maybe 18 years old, you're still a youngster to me. Uh, I'd like to pray for you as you begin your academic year. Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, we thank you for the summer that has gone by, for all the things you have bestowed upon us during this season of summer. And now, Father, we ask for your blessing upon all the students who are returning to their academic uh, career, so to speak. Father, we ask that you bless them as as they study, bless them as they fellowship, bless them as they participate in extracurricular activities. And for all of those who are in a brand new school, I ask in Jesus' name that you'll help them to adapt and to adopt the things they need to adopt. Father, I pray that you will lead them into good, lasting friendships, friendships which will encourage them to do what is right. Father, I I ask that you bless the relationships they have with their teachers, the administration of the school which they attend, and help them to be really participatory in all the events of the school and to have wonderful school spirit and to add to to the community uh, that's called a school. And Father, may they never struggle or not struggle with their faith to the point of discouragement. But Father, I pray that their faith will become more alive and real as they participate in in the activity of, of education. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that you'll help them to maintain their relationships in the youth group and to be here on Sundays to worship or wherever they may go on a Sunday, that they will worship you fully with their hearts and with all their soul and might. Thank you, Father, for blessing the students that we have in our church family. And thank you for the end which you have for them, the end of their academic career and the beginning of a life that, Father, you will bless. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's turn together to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14. Let's all rise together for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 25. Now, large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Let's pause there just for a moment. I'm not going to exposit that verse, but I think I need to say that Jesus isn't advocating that you actually hate your parents and your brothers and sisters, wife, because we see so many verses to the contrary of that. What he's doing is he's setting up a priority, A priority of values. What's most important in life is following Jesus. Everything else comes second. Now, again, the scripture is replete with passages about loving your wife and and taking care of your children and, and honoring your father and mother. So that's not the point. The point is discipleship, following Jesus takes a priority in our lives. Verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can, can be my disciple who does not give up all of his possessions. Thank you. Father, God, we thank you for these verses. Thank you so much for what they communicate to us. And Father, although we're only going to look at a small portion of these verses this morning in context of the message, may that portion speak to us directly. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations that are upon my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name. Amen. This morning is a forty seventy message. For those of you who are visiting with us, uh, it's, these are messages. You know, did they put the, uh, the time remaining up on the screen? I didn't mention that. All right, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. Uh, they, they put on a countdown for my retirement. Now, the reason for that isn't, to, uh, isn't because I'm looking forward to my retirement. The reason is to keep into context the transition that's going on, and there's only so many months left. I think there's eight months left, which means if I preach once a month, that's eight more messages plus the entire month of April. So I think I have like 11 messages to deliver as Senior Pastor of Evergreen SGV. Most of them will be the fourth Sunday of the month, although Blessing Sunday, it'll be the first Sunday, and it'll be all of April. I'll also be preaching Christmas Sunday this year. It'll be my last Christmas Sunday, delivering the Christmas message. So that's just to keep it in perspective, because one of the things we need to do as a church family is always remember that, you know, we are in transition. And transition means there's going to be changes that come about. And so that's why that's up there. I actually, next they may, I may have them put up one of those that clicks every second and keep it up there while the message is being delivered so you know how long the message is. No, we won't do that. All right, getting back to the message. It's a family time message. 40-70 messages are messages that are a result of 40 years of ministry and 70 years of living life. Actually, this year it is 41 and 71. But we're in, who's counting? <laughs> we're going to keep it 4070 messages because they started up last year. Now, put yourself into the, into the frame of mind that you are planning something, that you're going to be doing a, a family vacation, uh, there's something going on, maybe you're... Uh, Going to matriculate into college or have done so or going to do so next year. Uh, maybe you have a work project at, at, at your place of employment. Something, a project or a plan or, a, or a, a project or something that you're going to be doing that you may be in charge of. Now think about that. That's going to be the context of the message. How to plan something. How to plan an all church summer conference. Now, the reason why i entitled it that is because the major illustration throughout the message is going to be from the All Church Summer Conference, uh, ACSC. But you can place this or take the principles that I'm going to teach from Scripture and apply it to any area of life where you have to make plans and apply these principles as you make the plans and then as you carry them out. Now, this isn't a compendium of all the things you do, but it does reveal some of the things that that would be of good counsel for us to do from the scriptures. So let's begin. First of all, let's say you have something in mind that you're going to plan. The first thing I think we should do as believers is cover it with prayer. Cover with prayer. Whatever the plans are, cover it with prayer. Turn to Philippians 4, chapter 6, in your Bibles or in your devices. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Well, this is Paul and what he's doing is he's giving a series of things which will help us obtain the peace of God in our lives. So Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 and He talks about in verse 7, "The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your So he's saying if you if you need the peace of God in your life, then these are some of the things you should do. And one of the things you do in verse 6 is be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So let's say you're planning something, or there's something in the future you need to plan, and you're anxious about it. You're worried about it. Is it going to happen? Is it going to happen well? Do I have the wherewithal to actually do the planning? Or even be part of a planning team? And you're anxious. Well, it says here in Philippians 4, 6 that if you're anxious about something, like a project that you're planning, take it to the Lord in prayer. Cover it with prayer. Now the context is Paul is teaching us how to have peace in our lives. The principle is pray about everything so that the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will rest in your heart and mind. This coming uh, next year, in July-ish, my family is going to take a vacation. It's so the first vacation where we're actually going to get on an airplane and go someplace. Sometimes we, think we go up to Mammoth or something, but we're actually going to travel. It's the year of, of rain and my uh, 50th wedding anniversary. Can you believe we've been married for 50 years? <laughs> I, actually, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to get applause, but... I mean, I know I look old enough to be married for 50 years. But does rain? Don't answer that. That's rhetorical. <laughs> so, we're, actually, we just celebrated our birthday this past week. And um, I'm 71. You're not supposed to reveal a woman's age, but she's three days younger than me. <laughs> so, we're going to call on this family vacation. And we're looking for the place, it's, it's a destination vacation. And in, in our 50th year of marriage. And so, we're looking for a place that will house 18 people you know how difficult it is to find a place that can house 18 people and actually have places where you can sleep? So that's what we're looking for. And so uh, I've been praying for it, my wife's been praying for it, and our two daughters that are looking are praying for it. And then I was writing this message, I said, you know, a family vacation is something that you plan, or you should be planning, and the first point is cover it with prayer. I thought, well, we got four of us praying for it, but we should really let the whole family on it. So then right after I wrote this point, I texted the family. Because when you text your grandkids, boy, they respond right away. Right? So grandparents, you need, to le- you need to get a smartphone and you need to learn how to at least text. Because one way you can stay in contact with your grandkids. They may not respond on the phone, they may not respond to an email, but they will text you right away. Unless they're in class. And then if they text you while they're in class, you have something to rebuke them over. all right? So I texted him and said, you know, we're looking for a place to vacation next year. So could you all pray that the Lord will lead us to the right place? Covering it with prayer. Covering a vacation with prayer. Now, regarding to ACSC, which is the acronym or the initials of the All Church Summer Conference, we had a team whose specific purpose was to pray. Now, the team was led by Pastor Ron Miyake and Natalie Oki. I thought we had pictures of them, but we didn't from the conference. We had like a zillion conference pictures, no picture of Pastor Ron or Pastor or uh, Natalie Oki, but I guarantee you they were there. I saw them there. Now they did a prayer walk before the conference started. So they walked around the entire campus of Biola to pray for the sites and for the things that go on. They were covering the conference with prayer. Most of you didn't know that went on. We had a time each morning to pray for the conference. So we gathered around seven o'clock every morning, and a group of people, up to 30 or 40, from our church family got together in a small area to pray. Uh, Daniel Seichang and Janice Nakamura led us in worship, and then we split up in pairs of, or in groups of three and four, and we prayed for the events of that day. The conference was covered with prayer. Before either I spoke or Pastor Rocky spoke, a small portion of the prayer team met with us, and they prayed for us as your speakers. And they prayed for what was going to go on in the evening and morning sessions. The conference was covered with prayer. Whatever you do, whatever you plan, be sure it's covered with prayer. Covered with prayer. Secondly, always count the cost. Count the cost. Turn back to Luke chapter 14. This is the passage from which I read. Look at verse 28. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Now Jesus is actually addressing this is the context the cost of discipleship what it means to follow Jesus the principle he's teaching that can be applied universally is make sure in whatever you do count the cost count the cost here's two questions you can ask yourself when counting the cross or cost two questions first question do i have the commitment to get it done Do I have the commitment to get it done? Whatever it is, I'm planning. Whatever it is that's on the horizon, do I have the commitment to get to the finish line? Second question to ask yourself, do I have enough resources to get it done? Do I have enough resources to get it done? That's a direct application of what Jesus is saying in those verses. Do I have the commitment to get it done? And do I have the resources to get it done? If I'm going to build that tower, do I have enough to get it done? Let's say your child is a a musical prodigy in terms of playing an instrument. They play the violin, and they're really good at it. You know, God has gifted them to play the violin. That's one of their talents, as bestowed upon them by God. Now let's say they have the opportunity to be first chair in the junior orchestra of your city. And you get excited. Man, they got offered to be first chair in the violin section. And um, so you, you want to jump at it, but maybe you should count the costs first. Pray about it and count the cost. Are you willing to put in the time commitment for your child to be first chair? Are you willing to drive them to every practice or rehearsal that they have? Are you willing to pay what is necessary for them to travel maybe to other cities or maybe even to another country to play? And all of a sudden, you, feel, you find out it's $2,000 to go to Amsterdam to play. Do you, have you counted the cost sufficiently? Because what you commit yourself, you want to fulfill your commitment. In order to do that, you may have to count the cost. This happens a lot with kids who play club sports. Do you have the commitment and resources to finish what you start, counting the cost? As far as ACSC is concerned... Uh, Each conference, the leadership team decides on the cost of registration. And it's actually not very expensive for a four-day conference. It's like $140 to $160, depending on whether it's early bird or not. That's not very much money per person for a conference. And so what the team wants to do and what the church wants to do is when you sign up, is that they want to make it affordable for as many people as possible to attend. So that when they count the cost for it, it fits within the framework of what they can afford. And if they can't, we also have scholarships made available because we've counted the cost of trying to get the maximum number of church family members to attend the conference. And this is the cost that we pay as a church family to get as many people involved as possible because it's a wonderful, wonderful ministry time for our church family. Next church conference is going to be in three years, 2021. 2021 sometime probably in the month of July, and probably at Biola once again. Now the reason why we have it at Biola primarily is because it has got a large cafeteria. That's the reason why I like it. Every other place we go, we have to eat in shifts. At Biola, all 750 or 760 of us can fit in the dining facility at one time, even with other people there. All right, so that's the, it's one of the main uh, advantages of Biola. They have a large cafeteria. Right? And that's why, I, I personally, that's why I like it there. We can all eat together and not in shifts. Third thing, create a team. Create a team. Turn to Ecclesiastes 4 9. I actually have the wrong verse here for service. Ecclesiastes 4 9. There's a series of verses where The writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us, you know, more people is better than just one when you do something. Verse 9 says this Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Two is better than one. See, collaboration, collaboration on a project lends to a better product, a better end result. Good collaboration. And so one of the things we do for things like ACSC, things that we should do when any time we take on a project, is we should try to create a team. Let's say you have a project that needs to get accomplished at work, and you are in place charge of it. You're going to be the one who's in charge. And they tell you you need to create a team. Well, what you do is you prayerfully try to put together the best team possible to accomplish the task at hand. Now, sometimes sometimes you don't get to select the team. The team is assigned to you. And that could be a headache at times. One of the first things I would do if a team is assigned to me is try to create them into a team. Not just five individuals, not just six individuals, but try to create them into a team and maybe do some things to create a team culture amongst the five or six people that are working on the project. You can even do this at school. Sometimes kids are assigned a group to do a project for their class. And how the group interacts is very important. You try to create team, team spirit, a team culture. Um, One of the things that people do, and I I think our missions groups have done this, you go to an escape room. How do you know what an escape room is? If you don't know what it is, look it up. An escape room. I'm not advocating going to one, but just look it up. You go in there and they give you all these puzzles and you try to work your way out of the room. They place you into a room and they have rooms are usually thematic. And then you have to solve all the clues to get out of the room. So uh, while my wife and daughter were uh, traveling this summer, I, I was responsible for some of the kids. I had like eight of the grandkids I was responsible for at one time. So my son-in-law took the younger ones, and I took the big, bigger ones, the older ones, to an escape room. And they said, Grandpa, are you going to help? I said, No. I said, You guys are doing it. But I'm, I'm going to go into the room with you. Those six of us. But I'm going into the room with you. And so the reason why I went into the room with them is, is to observe them. And I told them afterwards, this is what I did. I said, I'm not going to help you unless you really get stuck. All right? and, if, and if I know the answer. If I don't know the answer, I'm just telling you, figure it out yourself. All right? That way they wouldn't know that I don't know the answer. And so I had a plan. See, that's the value of a plan. And um, so what was fun is watching how they worked. So I did give them advice driving over there. I said, the first thing you got to do is you got to designate a team leader, and so the, the discussion in the car driving to the escape room was, who should be the team leader, and so they eventually finalized. I said so you should minimally have that in mind before you go into the escape room, so you guys aren't just out there just scattered. Have a team leader, and then I observed them, and it was fascinating observing my grandkids operating together, trying to operate together as a team because they're from different actually nuclear families, and it just and then. You could tell that as we progressed through the escape room, they, f- they acted more and more like a team. And you can see which ones were the natural leaders, which ones were more the followers, which ones were deep thinkers, which one were just running around the room looking for things. <laughs> you know, it was really fun. And we got out. With, I can't remember. Was How much time was left? 24 seconds? I don't know. It was, or a minute. We, we had almost a minute. We got out. Here's the brilliance of this particular escape room. You, we are now alumni. right? So you can take your parents now, have them do the escape room, and they have a room there where you can watch them. You can eat lunch, and you watch. So we're going to do that. We're going to take those six kids, take their parents, put, throw their parents in there, and see how well they do. I'm not going in with them. All right. It was a lot of fun. We had a good time as, as, That was a nice uh, adventure during our vacation. For ACSC, you know, we have a... I lost my place. I got sidetracked. I lost my place. Over the years for our all church Summer Conference, we have had incredible leadership teams and incredible leaders over the years, leading the core leadership team. And they do a remarkable job. Here's a picture of our core team from this year. This is our leadership team. They were introduced the first night. They were creatively and with in- extreme diligence in preparing for the conference. Uh, and each team leader, or each leader within the leadership team leads another team. So from the core leadership, you get the leaders of other teams which put together the church conference. There's two teams in particular. There's, there's a lot of teams, but I'm just going to mention two of them. First, the hospitality and registration team. They had a team. They're the ones who greeted you. They're the ones who who provided you with refreshments. They're the ones who took care of your toiletry needs if you came up with some. They gave you a bag. They they, uh, they, um, they distributed the t-shirts. A hospitality team. A lot of fun. That team's a lot of fun. And they have such joy. And I've been to like 300 conferences plus over the course of my ministry. And I've been to conferences where I show up as a speaker and there's nobody there. There's no registration team. You wander around the camp looking for where you're supposed to go. And so... Our team, I mean, they welcome you. They, they had signs where you're supposed to kind of deposit your car so you can go in. trying to make it as comfortable and experience as possible. Now, it's still difficult because it's a large campus. But I really appreciate the, the hospitality and registration team for all that they did. Then there's the children's ministry team. They had a team. And uh, they took care of the kids. Now, the philosophy of our church is try to get... Our sister churches, our daughter churches, to supply the workers for the children's ministry, so our church family can participate in all the things that have been planned for the all church summer conference. The wonderful team—they did a wonderful job. Right? One team that pictures whose picture won't be up there is um, based upon recommendations from the previous year. Uh, we had an uh, OTS time, opportunity to serve time for the high schoolers, for the young, for the young people. And at every meal, they stood at the foyer or the entrance, and they volunteered to help any parent with little children to watch their children while the, while the parents went to go get food. This was an incredible. It was well-received, great help. Right? And uh, I thought that was a blessed ministry, and the young people enjoyed doing it as they served the, uh, the uh, young families in our church family. I thought that was a great idea. Fourthly, craft a plan. Craft a plan. Now that seems like, wait a minute, you're talking about planning something. Of course you craft craft a plan. People don't always craft a plan, especially for vacations. Do you have a plan? Turn to Proverbs 21, verse 5. Proverbs 21, verse 5. I like this verse. well-worn verse in my life. Verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. The context of this verse is financial stewardship, material stewardship. The principle of this verse is about the wisdom of making plans. Don't just haphazardly go through life. Make some plans now and again. In the area of finances, do you have a family budget? Because that's a plan. Let's say you want to go to college. All right, next year you're, you're a candidate to go to college. And you want to go to USC. Even after sitting in council with your senior pastor, you still want to go to USC. Right. But you know, USC is hard to get into. They're not easy to get into. All right. um, there were 64,256 applications this, this coming fall. 64,000. Of the 64,256 applicants, they admitted 8,258. About one in eight got in. Not easy to get in. So develop a plan. There's the A plan, and there's a B plan from your pastor. A plan, contribute $5 million to the school. They'll probably take your child. How many can do that here? Right. That's plan A. We'll scratch it. Here's plan B. Go to community college for one or two years and then transfer into USC. That's much more doable. Now, here's the problem with that plan. A lot of high schoolers don't want to go to community college. I mean, I got a 4.85 grade point average. I'm at community college. All right. But if it's part of your plan to get to USC, go to community college for one year or two years, bite the bullet, bite your pride, and then transfer into USC. It doesn't matter where you start. What really matters is where you end up, the diploma. The Cardinal and Gold... I was going to put a picture of USC up there, but we're in a Cardinal and Gold room. So I thought that would be overkill. I just didn't have the heart to do that, you know. In terms of ACSC, we had a lot of plans for the summer conference. A lot of plans had to be executed. We had plans for seminars and workshops. You know, there were 35 workshops and seminars. That is a lot of planning. Not only planning on the part of the team... But everybody who led a seminar had to plan for their seminar. And the plans of the diligent lead to advantage, the advantage of every conferee who attended a workshop or seminar. So those of you who did so, thank you very much for your time and energy and effort and planning. They were blessed. I mean, people really enjoyed the workshops and the seminars. 35, that's a lot. God blessed us with seminars. We also had different recreational activities. We had swimming, we had laser tag, outdoor volleyball, midnight madness for basketball, plus an open gym. We also had a three-on-three co-ed basketball tournament. We had a table scavenger hunt, and we had human bingo. That's a lot of things going on for recreational, all of which required planning. The plans of the diligent surely lead to advantage. We had a plan for meal times. Again, we had the room for it, and God, that was just, I think mealtimes are a blessed time at our conference. The leadership team met with food services to plan out the menu and distribution of food. So I thought it went lots of, and remember, we're not at a five-star restaurant. This is dorm food. You know, I talked, to, I sat with some of the 5th uh, and 6th grade boys at one meal, and I asked them, you know what the freshman 15 is? They had no idea. If you don't know what the freshman 15 is, If 15 is, ask somebody who went to college and lived in a dorm. But um, we only made one request of food services. No Asian food. (laughs) Isn't that right? No Asian, because we're Asian, so don't make Asian food. Other than that, uh, I thought the food was good. I liked the food there. But I liked the fellowship even better. We had a plan for the evening messages. Pastor Rocky and I shared three messages each. I was supposed to share about the past, God's story, all right? One story, and Rocky was to share about the future. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. Are you making plans for the things that you're responsible for in the future? Fifthly, continue with humility. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 in your Bibles or your devices. I'd like you to turn to this one and kind of mark it somehow. Look at what it says. Look at Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is exhorting us, as well as the church at Ephesus, to live a life that is worthy of Jesus. How do you live a life that's worthy of Jesus? of Jesus, well, by showing things like humility, gentleness, patience, and tolerance, one for another. And the rubber meets the road when things get difficult. When things get difficult, are you humble? Are you gentle? Are you patient? Are you tolerant of your brothers and sisters in Christ as well as others? Let's say you're going to plan a wedding just down the pike. And um, weddings are a wonderful and beautiful thing. But the planning of a wedding takes humility on the part of the couple and their parents. So those of you who are parents of teenagers, you got this right around the corner. This is when sometimes the desire of parents collide with the desires of the couple being wed. And the thing that needs to happen as you make plans, the thing that needs to happen as you're, you are a team planning the wedding, is you need to express and live a life That is humble. There's two areas where sometimes parents and kids or couples collide. One is the guest list. Guest lists can be problematic because you have a limited number. Now if you have unlimited access to a reception, it's not going to be much of an issue, although seating becomes an issue. Right, so the reception is the guest list, and where do you seat them? If you invite Rain and I to a wedding, you can put us in the corner. That's the, tro- that's the problem, right? Who do we put in the corner? Because somehow that means they're not well, as well-loved or something because you're in the corner of the reception room. You're loved. You were invited. So you can put Randy and I in the corner anytime, all right, if you invite us to your wedding. But it takes humility of both on the side of the parents and the side of the couple in order to move forward with wedding plans. Walking with humility. My advice to parents is this. Let the kids do what they really desire to do unless it's unbiblical somehow. Let them do what they desire to do for their wedding. What about ACSC? Now housing is a challenge at the All Church Summer Conference. You know, I, I am so blessed by our registrar and the people who do the housing. Did you know the housing people walk through every unit before you get there to make sure it's okay? to make sure that there's the right number of beds, all the linens are there, the beds are at the right height, and then they make the request if it's not correct. They do all of that before you even get there. Now remember, it's not the, it wasn't the Ritz-Carlton, it was a dorm room, dormant dorm living. Thank you all for your understanding of that. Well, every year there's some things that go kind of haywire with the housing. This year, in two instances, there was a water leak so people had to move. Second issue was there were some little bugs there, all right? And so that probably made it a bit uninhabitable. So the people in those two rooms had to be moved. I can testify that the people who had to be moved were very gracious, humble, patient, gentle, and tolerant of what needed to happen next where they got shifted to another room. And our, st- our people, our um, leadership was very humble, patient, tolerant, gentle, in getting the process done, especially with the Biola staff. All that happened, and feathers weren't ruffled to a degree where all of a sudden you didn't want to show up next Sunday at church. You know, wouldn't it be horrible that you go to a church conference for love, peace, unity? You have all these difficulties there because people aren't humble, and you come back saying, I don't want to sit next to them because of the church conference. But that doesn't happen because we try to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus which means you don't demand your rights you try to walk with humility doing the best you can to serve one another in Jesus I was really blessed by how the housing situation was handled not just this year but every year and finally calculate the results calculate the results turn to Psalm 119 Psalm 119 verse 59 Now Psalm 119 is dedicated to the Word of God. A lot of verses in this one, because the Word of God is so very important. Look at verse 59. I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. So what the psalmist is saying here is I'm evaluating the way I live my life. I'm evaluating the events of my life, and I'm making sure that my feet are turned to your Word, that I'm walking in the light, the light unto my feet. And so one of the things we need to do in order to turn our feet in the right direction, the direction where God wants us to go, is we've got to evaluate where we've been and how we've been walking. And so one of the things we do every year for the uh, conference is, is we evaluate it. Now let's say, conference aside, you're dating somebody. And now your dating is getting more serious. Let me suggest to you that you invoke this verse. You consider your ways and make sure your relationship is turned in the right direction toward the testimony of the Lord. So as your relationship gets more serious, have an evaluation time. Now, gentlemen, don't take them to a romantic dinner place and hand them an evaluation form. Let's evaluate our relationship. That's probably not the way to do it. That probably would be your last date, too. All right. Rather, have time, maybe at dinner, and just evaluate. Just talk about, you know, how are we doing? Do you think we're heading in the right direction? Are we honoring the Lord in our relationship, somehow, some way, Or just somehow out of the framework of the testimony of the Lord? You may want to go into counseling, just to see where you're at, way before you consider engagement. Just to see how you're really, really doing. Get counsel from outside. People will tell you the truth. People will be honest with you. Evaluate as you move forward to make sure you're in the testimony and the will of God. In terms of our all-church summer conference, we handed out an evaluation form. And thank you all who filled it out. And we take them seriously. This was the portion of the evaluation form. And many of you took the time to fill it out. Thank you once again. We did use them. The administration staff of our church collated all that information and handed it over to the leadership team. And then the leadership team evaluated it. They made pie charts. You're not going to be able to read the pie charts, okay, to show exactly how the conferees and our church family responded and all their comments. And we took the highlights of the conference and going to try to improve the next conference. That's what you do with evaluation. We should always be evaluating. You go on a family vacation, evaluate it. How was it? Was it really good for our family to be there? Did did it enhance fellowship? Or did it just, was it just independent time as opposed to community time as a church, as a a nuclear family? So cover, cover it with prayer. Count the costs, create a team, craft a plan, continue with humility and calculate the results. The final thing is this turn to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, the final step. It's not in your outline. Proverbs 16, verse 3, it says, Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Commit whatever you're doing to God. Even if it's at work in a secular environment, commit it to God, and He will establish your plans. And then be sure to give Him the glory. You do all that for something like an ACSC, and this is what results. I'd like to thank Gary and Norway for putting it together and all the people who took pictures and videos. Again, there's a lot of people involved to serve the church family. In three, we try to have the conference every three years. That way people can make plans. It is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But it gives you an opportunity to, to reserve the time. We try to get it about a year in advance so you'll know. It's usually in July, around the third week of July. Third weekend in July. We're shooting for that time, that time slot, but we'll have to see and make arrangements with whatever facility in which we stay. Hopefully it will be Biola once again. But one final note, I think God God sort of talks to or addresses our church family at the conference. So as many of you can possibly be there, I mean, the more the better. We can take probably close to 800 people. We We had a little over 700 this year. We might be able to exceed 800 at Biola. So if the Lord leads you, save it. Just think about the fact that three years from now, we're going to have another all-church summer conference, a time when the church family gets together and for God to speak into the lives of this church family and for us to have ample opportunity to fellowship. We've always had great leadership. We've had one pastor and one layperson lead it every year, and they've done, each year they've done a remarkably good job. And uh, it's just been a, a wonderful thing to experience together in Christ. So I, want to, but I just don't want to talk about the conference. I mean, the planning goes into it, and there are some principles of planning that we try to apply in all the things we do here at Evergreen SGV. And these are things you can actually incorporate into your own lives as you plan and, uh, and do things in your life. Always remember this though, it's always people before projects, people before plans. Make the plan, do the project, but the project and the plan does not take priority over the people whom you're trying to serve through the project and or the plan. Let's pray as the worship team comes forward. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for blessing our all-church summer conference and blessing us with scriptural things that can help us in our daily living, how we can make plans for things. Father, how we can, we can pray about it. We can create a team. We can, Father, we can walk with humility. Father, there's, there's all these things in scriptures which teach us and show us how we are to come about to conform our, our will to your will. Thank you. And now, Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you'll bless this time of worship